good afternoon everybody thank you all very much for showing up uh, so this episode we'll be talking about some concepts that are super important and useful to investors we are going to be talking about net income owner earnings and free cash flow these are three different concepts they are all different from each other but when i talk to fellow investors and when i uh, answer questions on twitter and so on what i typically see is that people don't fully understand or appreciate the distinction between these different concepts so what do these different things mean why are they different from each other and when should you use uh, each one uh, what are the pros and cons of using each of them things like that so that's what this episode is going to be focused on so uh, let's let's get started with net income which is the simplest of of the three concepts so typically uh, when people start businesses and uh, if if you invest in businesses if you're the owner of a business either because you started the business yourself or uh, because you bought shares of it on uh, on a stock market or whatever so you're the owner of a business what do you really care about so um, at the end of the day you care about two main things the first is how much cash do you have to put into the business in order to own the business so if you're buying shares in the stock market how much how much do you have to put up now to buy shares of apple or starbucks or whatever the second thing you care about is over a period of time over a long period of time that you hold the shares assuming you're a long term investor uh, how much cash will starbucks or apple return to you over the time that you are the owner of that company so these are the two things cash in and cash out how much cash do you have to put into the business and over a period of time how much cash can you take out of the business so ultimately your investment returns Uh, will be determined by these two uh, sets of cash flows Th- so this is very very simple this is one of the fundamental principles of investing hopefully over a period of time you will be able to take out more cash than what you put in and that's why you get a positive return from the investment if you are able to take out more cash than what you put in uh now a lot of people think okay if a business made a profit of 1 billion dollars then you can take out 1 billion dollars of cash if you are the owner of the business and that is not true uh, so i've said this many times on this podcast and i'm going to say it once again just because a business makes 1 dollar of profit net income it does not mean that the business has 1 dollar more cash that it can give out to its owners cash and profits are two completely different things and these three concepts net income and um free cash flow and owner earnings these are concepts that will help us understand what the difference is between how much a business reports in net income and how much cash an owner of a business can actually take out from that business so uh if you read the income statement um broadly speaking the income statement is divided into uh, two two sections the first section is revenues the second section is costs so revenues 
minus costs uh, is equal to net income. So um, what what could be simpler than that, right? So uh, when when customers uh, buy a particular company's products, they give it revenue, and uh, of course, a company has lots of costs. Uh, it has to pay employees, it has to pay taxes, it has to pay rent, things like that. So all those things are costs. So you take the revenue that the that's the money collected from customers, subtract out all the costs, and uh, what you're left with uh, is net income and owners uh, should be able to take that net income out as cash, right? Uh, but unfortunately, that's not the way it works. And why doesn't it work this way? Well, that is simply because when we think of the word revenue, we think of cash flowing into a company. Um, but that is not necessarily true. Um, so, so revenue can coincide with cash coming into the company, Revenue need not coincide with cash uh, coming into the company. So we'll see some examples soon. Uh, and the same thing is true for costs as well. When we think of cost, we think of cash leaving the company. That's what a cost is. A company has to spend some cash. Uh, but again, that, that is not necessarily true. Uh, there are some costs that are cash costs. That means when they are incurred, cash actually leaves the company. And there are other costs where uh, cash doesn't have to leave the company. So, uh, so revenue minus costs uh, may be equal to net income, but that's not equal to the change in cash. Um, so let me give you an example of each. Okay, so let's say uh, we, we can have revenue with cash, we can have revenue without cash. So what is an example of revenue uh, with cash flowing into the company? Uh, that's very simple. If I if I go to Walmart, for example, and uh, let, let's say I buy some toothpaste or whatever from from Walmart. Uh, now, when when I buy that toothpaste from Walmart, I, I may give Walmart five dollars or something like that for the for the toothpaste, and they get to collect the cash from me right away. So that is an example of revenue for Walmart. Walmart gets five dollars in revenue, and at the same time, I give Walmart five dollars of cash. So. Uh, that that is a revenue that also corresponds to an increase in cash. And that's very simple. That's how we normally think of revenue as uh, cash flowing into the company. But uh, there can be revenue, but no cash. So a uh, classic example of this is when you bill a customer for something. So let's say a customer contracts you to do some uh, design work or something like that. And uh, you bill the customer uh, $1,000 and you do the work for him. Uh, but the customer is not going to pay you right away. The customer may pay you only one month later uh, because those are the terms of your agreement with the customer. So in that case, you have revenue, but you have no cash because the customer hasn't paid you yet. Uh, so this type of thing happens in a lot of businesses. So for example, if you run a YouTube channel or something like that, uh, typically, what happens is uh, YouTube calculates how much money you should be getting from your channel based on how much money they got from advertising and things like that. But then YouTube will not give you that money right away. So let's say during the course of this particular month. Uh, so one of my favorite uh, YouTube channels is this guy called Three, Three Blue One Brown. He's got a math YouTube channel and he explains a lot of math concepts to people. He's, he's got millions of subscribers uh, on YouTube, I think. Uh, so so. Uh, let, let's say YouTube calculates that this month um, the, it, it owes three blue, one brown, say uh, $750,000 or whatever. Okay, so so this month, YouTube has to pay him 
uh, 750K. But he doesn't get that 750K right away. So what happens is YouTube will finalize the, uh, uh, the record and uh, he, this guy, he may get paid only say three weeks later or for uh, the next month or some, something like that. So there is a lag between when uh, Three Blue One Brown books revenue from YouTube and when he actually gets paid. So that lag means there is revenue, but there is no cash. Uh, so that, that is possible. Then there can also be cash, but no revenue. Uh, so this is very interesting. There are lots of companies, Starbucks, for example, when I go to Starbucks and I uh, give them money to reload uh, onto my Starbucks card, so I may give Starbucks $100 today. And what they will do is uh, they will take that $100 and they will put it into my card. But essentially what I've done is I've given Starbucks $100 of cash, but they have not given me any coffee or anything like that in exchange yet. Uh, so they, they can't take that $100 and call it revenue because they haven't actually given me anything yet. So it's only when I go, uh, say, uh, one week later, when I go to Starbucks and use that card to buy a coffee or something like that, that coffee is revenue for Starbucks. But at the time, uh, there's no cash exchange. Cash was given to Starbucks before uh, they ever gave me the coffee. So they first got the cash up front. And then over a period of time, as and when I buy coffee, they recognize that cash as revenue. So revenue can come before cash. Revenue can come at the same time as cash. Revenue can come after cash. So that's why revenue and cash are not the same thing. Uh, the same thing with costs. So when you have a cost, you can have a cost uh, coming before cash, after cash, at the same time as cash. So I'll give you quick examples of, uh, of all three cases. Uh, the, the simplest case is uh, the cost occurring uh, at the same time as cash leaves the, uh, uh, the, the business. So uh, a very simple example is if, if a business incurs a rent, for example, a rent, a rental expense. So uh, for, for this month, let's say the business operates a storefront or whatever. Uh, so for this month, if you, if you take the income statement, they may have paid the landlord uh, rent for this month, which is cash leaving the premises. And so... Uh, there is a cost on the income statement. There is cash that left the business and they are equal to each other. So cost has occurred at the same time as cash. But sometimes the cost uh, that is reported on the income statement can occur uh, before cash actually leaves the door. So a great example of this is a company called AutoZone. Uh, we've talked about this company on this podcast before. So what happens is, AutoZone will go to its suppliers. It's, it's an auto retailer. So they sell things like windshield wipers and uh, brake, uh, uh, brake fluid and, and th th things like that. Things you need to uh, have a car working properly, car batteries and whatnot. The, all those things they sell. So what they do is they go to their supplier. Okay. And they buy all these things from the supplier, uh, uh, windshield wipers and all, all, all these things that they need to keep. Uh, in their store, they go and buy from their supplier. And then what they do is they sell uh, these things to the customer. Now, they haven't yet paid the supplier yet for these things. What they do is they first collect the cash from the customer and then they use uh, part of that cash to pay the supplier for these things. So uh, when when a customer goes in and buys something from uh, AutoZone, let, let's say the 
customer goes and buys some uh, windshield wipers or wh- whatever. Now, uh, what happens is the the company recognizes revenue at that point. And there is a cost associated with the revenue, which is whatever the windshield wipers cost AutoZone to acquire. But that is a non-cash cost so far because cash has not yet left AutoZone. Only when they actually go and pay the supplier uh, for those windshield wipers, that is when cash actually leaves the company. But the cost is reported on the income statement even before cash has left the company. So that is an example where cost comes first and cash uh, leaves the premises later. Then there are other companies like like Sprouts, for example. So uh, when, when you go to Sprouts, they may have a milk supplier and they may buy milk from the supplier and stock their shelves uh, and they may pay cash to the supplier right away. Uh, so cash has already left the premises. Uh, so Sprouts has already paid cash, got this milk and kept this milk on its shelves. But that's not a cost yet. That is only cash that has left the premises in exchange for milk. When is it actually a cost on the income statement? Only when someone goes and buys that milk. Then there is a revenue and then there is a cost associated with it. So uh, at this time, what happens is cost, uh, come, the cash leaves first and then the cost comes. So uh, when you say revenue minus cost equals net income, uh, revenue does not mean cash in. Costs do not mean cash out. And so um, if, if you look at how much cash the business has and how much cash owners can take out of this business over time, uh, you will have to factor in this time delay between uh, revenues and costs and cash and, and all that. And that is why net income is different from free cash flow is different from owner earnings. Uh, so let, let's... Uh, look at free cash flow. So free cash flow is one of the things uh, that is usually on on the cash flow statement. So free cash flow is not a gap accounting metric. So when uh, when when different companies uh, say uh, free cash flow, they may mean different things because it's not 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 a gap standard uh, quantity. Usually, uh, what free cash flow means is uh, how much cash. Uh, do the owners of the business, how much cash can they take out after making all the investments that the business needs? So uh, you have cash that is uh, generated by the business through its operating activities. So that that includes um, all all the income that uh, the business makes, plus these kinds of uh, uh, revenue showing up late and uh, uh, costs showing up late as cash and, and things like that. So once you've accounted for this time delay in revenues and costs and all that, you have cash uh, from operating activities. But um, the business also has to invest in itself. So typically what businesses do is they invest in themselves in two ways. One is they buy more inventory and things like that. So if you're AutoZone and you're planning to sell more windshield wipers this year than what you sold last year, you have to acquire more inventory and things like that. So what happens is when you acquire more inventory, sometimes you have to uh, give cash to your suppliers in order to acquire this inventory. So that is one way businesses invest into themselves by buying more inventory and things like that. So that's called an increase in working capital. So this investment uh, that the business is making into itself, hoping to sell more in the future, that investment requires an increase in the business's working capital. It requires an investment of capital. 
so that that is one component of how businesses invest in themselves through increases in working capital. And the second component is increases in fixed assets. So uh, a, a business may decide that they want to build a new factory or they want to buy a new building. Uh, they want to open new stores, things like that. So they acquire fixed assets. So when, when Starbucks goes and opens a new store in China or whatever, uh, they, they may have to make uh, buy a building or they may have to uh, uh, buy, buy some uh, espresso machines or whatever. These, these are all fixed assets that go into the store. Then in addition to that, they may have to get an inventory of coffee beans and things like that. Those are all working capital increases. So there are two kinds of investments that businesses have to make uh, in, into themselves if they want to grow in the future. And th- those two kinds of investments uh, have to be subtracted out because every dollar that goes into making these two investments, every dollar of cash that goes into these two investments is one dollar of cash that is not available for owners to take out of the business, right? So uh, companies, what they have to do is uh, when when they make these investments, uh, that will reduce the amount of cash that owners can take out that year. But hopefully these investments will result in enough returns that the owners can take out more cash in the future. That That's the goal why, why companies make all these investments because they're hoping that by investing $1 today into working capital and fixed assets and all that, the they'll be able to give owners uh, or the owners of the business will be take, able to take out more than $1 in future uh, uh, with, with a decent return and things like that. That's why companies make all these investments. So the idea is that once you take out all these investments, you take uh, the cash that the business generates from uh, its operating activities, and then you subtract out all these investments which are required uh, uh, into the business to make sure the business grows uh, or to even keep the business steady where it is and so on. That, uh, what whatever cash remains after making all these investments, that is what the owners of the business get to take out that particular year. And uh, that is called free cash flow. Uh, Now, there are a couple of things where um, uh, people like Michael Mauberson, they they argue that free cash flow is not exactly the correct metric uh, to to look at uh, how much cash owners can take out of the business. Uh, One major thing is stock-based compensation. So if you look at high-tech companies today, uh, what they do is they give out enormous amounts of stock-based compensation to employees. So they may uh, dilute the existing shareholders by, say, 3% or 4%. That's very common uh, to, to see companies uh, diluting existing shareholders by 3 to 4% per year to give uh, stock options and RSUs and things like that to their employees, CEOs and others. So uh, when, when a company reports it, uh, its financial statements, what happens is the net income line in the income statement would have already made a deduction for these kinds of stock-based uh, compensation. So let's say a company reports $1, $1 billion of stock-based compensation. Uh, now, net income would have already been reduced by $1 billion because uh, they've reported $1 billion in stock-based compensation. Now, the thing is, that $1 billion, uh, which is reported as a cost on the income statement, is not really a cash cost because the company has just printed some stock out of uh, thin air and then given it to its executives. So it's not a cash cost. Cash has not left. Uh, so what happened? billion is added back to net income. 
And so that's how you get cash flow from operating activities and investing activities and all that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the cash uh, from operating activities will be one billion higher because the company uh, had one billion dollars of stock uh, stock based compensation. And as a result, it may appear that free cash flow is higher by one billion. It may appear that owners of the business can take out one billion more than what net income would imply. But the thing here is uh, the owners have been diluted. So it may be better to look at free cash flow per share as opposed to just looking at the free cash flow of the business. Because what happens is uh, when you have stock-based compensation, when stock-based compensation is a big part of free cash flow, you really have to look at free cash flow per share because that's what you as the owner of the, of a business, if you own 100 shares of, uh, say, Apple, uh, how much cash those 100 shares uh, can take out over time. That's what you're interested in. And so if Apple keeps issuing new, new stock and giving it to Tim Cook, yes, it may have lots of free cash flow, but that free cash flow is now divided among many more shares. And so your 100 shares will get less than what the free cash flow of the company looks like. So you, you have to make that adjustment mentally. So whenever you see uh, stock-based compensation being a big part of free cash flow, you always have to look at free cash flow per share, not free cash flow. So uh, th there are nuances like this. So it's not just enough to understand a company's free cash flow. You have to understand free cash flow per share. Um, then there is this 1986 letter that Warren Buffett wrote. And when I read that letter, it was something like a light bulb moment for me. Light bulb went, went off in my head. And I said, yes, this is exactly the right way to think about business. And uh, so Warren Buffett, uh, in his 86 letter, in this letter, he uh, defined a concept called owner earnings. And owner earnings is not net income, and it's also not free cash flow. It's, it's a completely different concept. It's a third concept. But it helps owners, uh, like long-term shareholders, think clearly about how much cash they can take out of a business. So the idea is, uh, there are two kinds of investments. So I said, whenever a company wants to grow, like when, when Starbucks wants to grow, for example, uh, if they open a new store, they need two kinds of investments. One investment is just to increase working capital. And the second investment is to increase fixed assets. But what Warren Buffett says is sometimes even just to stay in the same place without growing, the company still has to make additional investments. So uh, Starbucks, for example, it's, uh, let's say one, one of its um, uh, uh, espresso machines breaks or something like that. So let's, let's say an espresso machine costs $10,000 and uh, that uh, $10,000 is going to, uh, the, the life of an espresso machine is five years, say. Uh, then Starbucks would depreciate this espresso machine at say $2,000 per year. Now at the end of five years, what happens is this espresso machine is no longer useful. Its useful life has ended. It is now scrap and it has to be replaced by a new espresso machine. Now, when Starbucks throws out this old espresso machine and replaces this new, uh, replaces it with this new espresso machine, that's not going to result in an increase in Starbucks's revenues or any, anything like that. 
they just need that espresso machine, one espresso machine to replace the other one so that they can continue selling the same amount of coffee that they used to sell before, right? So this new investment in a fixed asset, which is uh, which may be higher than the depreciation that they charge. So Starbucks may have bought the old espresso machine five years ago for $10,000, but now a new espresso machine may cost them $15,000. Uh, simply because of inflation and the cost of espresso machines has gone up and things like that. So now what happens is Starbucks, just to maintain its previous coffee output, just to maintain the previous unit volume in terms of how much coffee it is selling from a particular store, it has to now spend more. So it has to now spend, uh, say, $3,000 per year. The same espresso machine, it's now $15,000. It lasts for the same five years. So that's $3,000 per year. So depreciation expense was only $2,000 per year, but uh, they have to spend $3,000 per year uh, in order to maintain their current earnings. So just to maintain their current earnings, not to grow or anything like that, just to maintain their current earnings, Starbucks has is now having to invest a thousand dollars more into their business than what they claimed in depreciation so what buffett says is this thousand dollars which which is called maintenance capex which goes into maintenance capital expenses which goes into starbucks that thousand dollars is not money that owners can take out of the business so what you have to do is when a business makes investments into uh, its future you have to be very clear, are these investments going to be for growth or are these investments just there to keep the earnings exactly what they are, not for growth? So you have to take the investments and you have to divide them into two groups. One group is maintenance expenses and the second group is uh, growth expenses. So there is capital expenses, CapEx, that a company makes. And part of the capex is just for maintenance. The other part of the capex is for growth. And the growth part is discretionary. So owners may decide that they want to spend that money today to get growth in the future. Or they may decide, you know what, forget about this growth. I don't want this growth. I'll just pocket the cash right now instead of investing it into the business for growth. So owner earnings is how much cash you can pocket if you're not interested in growth. If you don't want any growth, if you're happy to keep the earnings and unit volume of the company exactly what it is today, you may still have to spend more than depreciation, but whatever cash that remains after you make these maintenance expenses, that is yours to keep. That's called owner earnings. Whereas free cash flow is, it deducts everything. The, the money that, that is required uh, to be invested into the business for maintenance, the money that is required for growth, they are both deducted to get free cash flow. Whereas to get owner earnings, you deduct only the maintenance expenses. You don't deduct the growth investments. So that is the key difference between uh, free cash flow and owner earnings. And this is also a great way to think about um, how much cash owners can take out of the business. So with, with growth, the idea is owners can take the cash out if they wished, but they don't wish that. They reinvest the cash. They choose to reinvest the cash back into the business with the hope that they can take out more in the future. So uh, it's important to make that distinction between how much cash has to be compulsorily invested back into the business just to keep its operations 
and how much cash is discretionary how much cash the owners if they want they can put it in otherwise they can take it out so that distinction um uh, is what i got from buffett's letter 1986 letter on owner earnings and buffett has made enormous use of this concept of owner earnings so for example at at he he's got say 20 different companies under uh, his berkshire umbrella so that there's seas candies and there's bnsf and there's the energy operation and there's uh, geico and all all these different companies so what he can do is he can decide that he doesn't want to put more money into seas candies this year maybe because uh, he can't get a good return out of it this year so he may take the money that is generated by seas candies and then uh put that money into something else like bnsf or something like that where uh, he may be able to get a higher return so he can take cash out of one business the owner earnings he can take out of one business and then he can go and put it into another business and that is part of why berkshire has been so successful and so this this concept of owner earnings how much cash do you need to leave in the business just to keep its current operations and how much cash can you take out of the business and if you like put it into some other business and so on that is very very relevant to how berkshire operates and so uh, buffett has thought about this in great detail and so he he's got this wonderful letter so um to close this discussion about uh, owner earnings net income and free cash flow um i'd like to recommend some resources so three three different resources the first resource is uh, warren buffett's 86 letter go and read about owner earnings what is written there uh, the second resource is this uh, wonderful paper that michael moberson uh, recently uh, uh, put out uh, i think it's called categorizing for clarity so what he does is um, he takes the cash flow statement of a business um, like amazon for example and then uh, what michael does is he takes each line item in the cash flow statement and says okay what does this line item mean and should it really be in the cash flow statement in this particular place so for example he he looks at stock based compensation and he says look stock based compensation shouldn't really be part of cash flow from operating activities so the the other way to handle stock based compensation is to just look at per share figures instead of uh, look, looking at the free cash flow of the entire company look at free cash flow per share which is what i advocated earlier in this episode um but michael moberson has lots of thoughts uh, great thoughts about how uh, stock based compensation has to be handled how intangible investments that companies make today how they have to be handled on the cash flow statement uh, this whole idea of maintenance versus growth capex and how to handle leases and uh, Uh, he he he's got so many thoughts on uh, how various items in the cash flow statement should be categorized so i i recommend that if if you are interested in these things go and read his paper called uh, categorizing for clarity it's it's a really wonderful read and the third thing i would recommend is uh, uh, to go over aswad damodaran's uh, uh, various valuations so from time to time aswad damodaran may decide that he wants to value tesla or he wants to value apple or facebook or in any of these companies so one thing to do is uh, he he makes all these valuations available as excel spreadsheets you can just go and download them and study the spreadsheets and in the spreadsheets uh, what aswad does is he may say okay this company um, may may grow sales at 10% per year for for the next several years but 
each dollar of sales requires maybe uh, $0.20 cents of capital or each dollar of sales may require $2 of capital. And so the business has to put up that capital if it wants to generate these extra sales. And so every dollar that it has to put up in capital, either into working capital or into fixed assets, is $1 that's not available for the owners. And so that $1 will not be available in the, uh, in the free cash flow. Uh, for for this year, and then when you do a discounted cash flow analysis by uh, taking the free cash flow each year and then discounting it to the present, that uh, every one dollar that is invested today uh, to produce future growth is not going to be available, and so it will not factor into the DCF for this year. Uh, so if you go and see how these various terms in Aswadhamudran's spreadsheet, how they all come together and how the valuation comes together, uh, it'll be very clear uh, what is a component of net income and how much of the net income has to be reinvested back into the business. And so how much is cash that is remaining? And that is the cash that is discounted through the DCF model to get you a current valuation for the company. So if you just go and read these uh, spreadsheets that uh, Aswad Damodaran puts out, you'll get a very good idea of uh, how investments into the company uh, result in uh, reduction to today's cash flow. And so how they will go and impact uh, not, not just this year's cash flow, but also future year's cash flows. So an investment of $1 today may decrease today's cash flow, but then the same $1 is going to increase future cash flow, assuming that it earns a positive return and things like that. So how all these things factor into a company's valuation, those things become very clear when you read Aswadhamadran's spreadsheets. So that that is another thing that I would recommend. Just go take any spreadsheet that uh, he's released recently and then uh, read the spreadsheet, try to understand what is the formula for calculating each individual cell in that spreadsheet. And you'll get a very good idea of all these things that I'm talking about. Net income, owner earnings, free cash flow, all all these different things. Uh, So I think I'll stop with that today. um, And uh, I'll take questions from the audience. If if you guys have any questions or you have any comments that you want to talk about, maybe um, some some other metric other than free cash flow or owner earnings that has helped you in your investing, feel free to share. Um, So... Yeah, let me open the floor to callers. Yeah, the, the next caller is uh, Rehabs. Hi, Tanke. Hey. A couple of questions. Um, so first about uh, Starbucks uh, and your examples that they, um, they receive cash before receiving revenue. My question is, where do they put this cash in, in, in balance sheet and an income statement? That would be my first question. Okay. So sh- should I answer the first question now yeah. and then you'll yeah. ask the next? Okay. Yeah. So, so when a company collects cash, but it has not yet uh, given services or products for that cash, what happens is there is a line item called unearned revenue and it's a liability on the balance sheet. So if you, if you look at Starbucks's balance sheet, there will be a line item called unearned revenue. And so uh, when a company, when, when I pay Starbucks, say $100 of cash, uh, what happens is cash increases. Cash is an asset. Cash increases by uh, $100, but liabilities also increase by $100 because the unearned revenue line item will increase by $100. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Second question about your example of AutoZone uh, company. So this company also there's a, a mismatch between uh, between uh, uh, paying uh, cash out and 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 booking um, costs if if I understand correctly. And and uh, uh, th- that made me thinking. On the other side of this transaction, there must be other company like the supplier of parts and it means that for this other company it also there there there, there will be a mismatch between um, receiving revenues and receiving cash so if if on one side there is mismatch then on the other side also must be a mismatch am i correct yes you are absolutely correct so if you are auto zone and you go and get something let's say you buy a car battery on credit from a supplier so now uh, your inventory has increased because you now have one car battery that you did not have before. So assets in the form of inventory have increased, but liabilities in the form of accounts payable has also increased. Uh, but if you are the supplier of that car battery, what happens is uh, you can book revenue when when you sell that car battery to AutoZone. So revenue will increase on the on the income statement. But then if you look at the balance sheet, on your assets, you have one less battery because you sold it to AutoZone. So re- inventory will decrease. But then you have another asset that increases and that asset is accounts receivable. So every uh, dollar that AutoZone has to pay to a supplier is an accounts payable for AutoZone, but it is an accounts receivable for the supplier. And some suppliers, what they do is uh, this is even even more interesting. So what they do is uh, they take these receivables. So let's say a supplier has $100 of receivables from AutoZone. They may actually go to a financing company and say, look, I have these $100 of receivables. AutoZone has to give me $100 for this battery that I gave uh, AutoZone. But AutoZone is going to take three months to pay me. And I can't wait three months because I have to pay my employees or whatever. So uh, why don't you you collect the money from AutoZone but instead of uh, giving me the $100, give me $95 right now, and then you collect $100 from AutoZone later. So what this financing company will do is it will take the receivables and put it on its balance sheet, and then it will give $95 to uh, this supplier. So the supplier gets to uh, uh, take cash immediately, and then they can use that cash for to meet their expenses or whatever. Uh, but now that receivables, uh, the, the supplier no longer has the uh, the receivables. The receivables have gone to somebody else's balance sheet, the financing company's balance sheet. So all, all these things happen. So yes, you're absolutely right. When, when there is a mismatch uh, between uh, revenues and cash or something like that in one company's balance sheet, there's always going to be a mismatch on other uh, uh, counterparties' balance sheets as well. Okay, and and then the last question about uh, free cash flow and stock-based compensations. Uh, So first, I wanted to say that I understand correctly, free cash flow is a non-gap measure. So it 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 seems to me that we are free to define it as 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 we want, right? And and I I believe I've seen different. formulas let's say for free cash flow and 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 for example uh how i was taught i was taught that free cash flow is basically what you defined as owner's earnings that free cash flow is cash from operations minus uh maintenance portion of capital expenditures 
So that's how I was taught what free cash flow is. Um, oh, okay. About... <laughs> so, so the mo- most common, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it's a non-GAAP measure, so we are all free to uh, adopt whatever definition makes sense to us. Right. Um, but the the way, I think, the, at least in the US, if, if you read articles on Seeking Alpha and if you talk to other investors and, and so on, the most common definition of free cash flow that most people use seems to be uh, you, you take the cash flow from operating activities and you subtract out uh, all investments, both maintenance and growth. Uh, mm-hmm. So both maintenance capex and growth capex, you, you take it out of cash flow from operating activities. And then what you're left with is free cash flow. This, this okay. is uh, yeah. the most common definition. But but you're absolutely right. It, it, in, in your case, if you define free cash flow that way, then your definition of free cash flow is actually closer to my definition of owner earnings. Owner yes. earnings is also non-GAAP. So, <laughs> so, so yeah. yeah. So, so what what caught my attention was your your example about um, stock-based compensations. You you you, you explained it that that uh, it's 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 not actually cash going out of company at that very moment, and that's why this free cash flow number won't be correct. And you suggested to use uh, cash flow per share, but like. I, I think that even cash flow per share won't be correct because this like whatever one billion or or what number won't be correctly uh, calculated into this cash flow per share too. Uh, why why won't it be calculated correctly? Uh, uh, sorry, can you repeat, please? Uh, so you said that if you take the free cash flow per share. Yes. And uh, you, you add SPC, uh, stock-based compensation, um, and you calculate free cash flow per share, just taking into account that the number of shares is now higher because of stock-based compensation. You said it won't be correct to do that. And I'm curious to know, like, wh- why do oh. you think it won't be correct? Oh, no. Okay. Maybe I'm, I, maybe I'm wrong. So if you, if you know that number of shares... So, okay. So you need to... You need to take correct number of shares, and then you can get correct number. So, so which, so there are different numbers of number of shares. There's base basic shares outstanding, and 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 then I think some other number of shares. So, which number of shares should you use to get the correct number in this oh, case? Oh, that, that's a great question. So, um, there's no easy answer to this, and uh, so both the uh, the basic number of shares and the diluted number of shares, they are some kind of average. Uh, so when you look at an income statement, uh, you, you will look at the number of shares that existed. Uh, let's say the income statement is for one year. Okay. So over the last one year, uh, at the start of the year, how many shares were outstanding? And at the end of the year, how many shares are outstanding? And then some average of the two or something like that. This is how weighted average uh basic and diluted share counts are calculated for companies. But that's not exactly, that may not be exactly correct because if a company is doing a lot of buybacks, for example, then uh, if you take the number of shares uh, as an average, then that average will be higher than the number of shares that are actually outstanding at the end of the period when the income statement is published, right? Uh, So if a company is doing a lot of buybacks, I generally like to take into account the number of shares that are outstanding right now 
because that's what is going to impact uh, my future results as a shareholder not some average of the number of shares that were outstanding over the last one year or something like that uh, so uh, and by the same token if a company is giving out a lot of uh, stock based compensation uh, you have to have some realistic estimate of how many uh, shares will be outstanding at a future point in time and uh, that is a little hard to tell because there are two kinds of ways companies can do stock based compensation one way is through uh, this thing called rsus restricted stock units there what they do is they just issue shares and give it to employees and that is very straightforward if they issue five shares then there's five extra shares uh, outstanding but sometimes uh, they also do stock options and uh, when 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 a company issues stock options and gives it to its employees then you have to uh, have some idea of what the future stock price will be uh, in order to be able Uh, able to tell whether this option will even be exercised or will it be forfeited in the future right so uh, it's not always uh, easy to estimate how many shares uh, what the diluted share count should fully reflect in your calculations but i like to be as conservative as possible so if a company is uh, granting say uh, 100000 shares uh, in in using stock options Uh, i will assume that 100000 shares gets exercised in the future uh, just to be conservative now it may turn out that only 50000 shares get exercised in the future because the rest are forfeited or whatever but i don't really uh, i want to be as conservative as possible in my calculation so i will uh, uh, try to estimate a high number for the number of shares outstanding uh, so so that that's how i usually do it okay thank you and thank you for work you are doing Right. Uh, thank you so much. And if you want to learn more about um, uh, how how many shares are being granted, uh, how many options are being granted to executives, and things like that, uh, even the balance sheet and the cash flow statement, income statement, these may not tell you enough. You may have to go and actually read the notes to the financial statements. So when I find that a company is doing lots of share buybacks, uh, I'm always worried that the share buybacks may actually be masking. Uh, the amount of dilution that's going on inside the company so i will always go and read the notes to the financial statements where uh, th- there will usually be uh, one heading called stock based compensation in the notes and in in that heading there will usually be a table and the table will tell you how many options were granted how many rsus were granted uh, how, how many were exercised how many were forfeited all that information will be available in those notes so you have to go and read those notes if you want a clearer picture okay thank you sure uh, so the next caller is uh, ricardo hello good afternoon tenki uh, good afternoon yeah i can hear you okay um well my question is this i would like you to speak a little about companies that are holding companies for example i'm looking at this company that has a 60% ownership of another company that has a lot of free cash flow how is this from your um, company right. from that company is reflected on this holding companies book uh, uh, right just, mm-hmm. So, so so there are essentially two different ways to do it um i think one one method is uh, 
if you own 60%, if, if company A owns 60% of company B and company B has $1 billion of cash, then company A uh, puts uh, 60% of that on, on its books. So all the assets and liabilities and income and everything uh, that company B has is, uh, th- there's a 60% uh, of it is reported on company A's books. That That is one way to do it. Uh, the other way to do it is to add a single line item uh, at the end of the income statement or whatever. So company A may have a bunch of other operations in addition to its stake in company B. So it uh, reports all these operations in detail. And then at the end of the income statement or the balance sheet, uh, at, at the end of the income statement, what it does is it, it adds a line saying uh, income from uh, uh, equity method investees or so, so, something like that where uh, you just take the profits of the uh, company B and then take 60% of those profits or whatever your share is and then include that as a single line item that adds to your net income. But then uh, in the cash flow statement, you may have to explain why that net income did not come to you as cash because uh, company A may get cash from company B only when company B makes a distribution. Uh, so if company B retains all its earnings and doesn't distribute anything to company A, uh, then what's going to happen is this is going to be part of net income for company A, but it's not going to be cash flow for company A. So if you look at the cash flow statement, there'll be an offsetting uh, line item there saying, look, uh, we reported uh, this uh, this net income, but then that net income is not actually cash because it's uh, held in company B. And so... Uh, the the cash flow will contain cash flow statement will contain a, a negative uh, entry there which will reduce uh, uh, cash flow so th- this is usually how holding companies are handled and there are different rules for you know wh- when you can if you, if you control all of a company uh, then uh, you have to follow a particular set of rules for reporting and if you don't control all of a company, if you own more than 10%, but less than 50%, you, you have to report it in a different way and, and so on. So I'm, I'm not super clear about what all the exact rules are, uh, but these are broadly speaking, the two different methods for uh, doing this kind of reporting. Um, thank you. Uh, I, um, just a follow up. Sure. I, the, the, using the same scenario, for example, I was saying to myself, why is it that the holding company not giving more dividend um, from company B that it owns 60%? So my understanding is that it only has access to the dividends that company B gives to the holding company. This dividend is, how is this different dividend reflected? In, in, well, so, in the holding company, yes. So, so if uh, company B decides to pay the holding company, company A, uh, a dividend, then that dividend will result in an increase in um, cash. Uh, but it's not necessarily net income because in net income, what company A uh, may want to do is to take the full earnings of company B uh, it's something like Buffett's concept of look-through earnings. So if company B uh, earned, say, $1 billion and company A owns 60% of company B, 
then company a uh, ha- uh, may may report 600 million dollars of income on its income statement but if it only gets 300 million of that 600 million in dividends then that 300 million will uh, show up in the cash flow statement as a dividend but there will be a negative 600 million charge because that net income which was reported on the income statement did not make it to an increase in cash so even though net income was 600 million cash uh, has increased only by 300 million because the company decided to pay only 300 million as dividends does does that make sense yes thank you very much okay sure uh, so the next caller just goes by a ap can you hear me yeah i can hear you hey so um yeah my question is about again uh, stock based compensation um so many companies they will um they will announce buybacks um and they will very mechanically do these buybacks regardless of uh, you know how expensive the shares are and these buybacks will just offset whatever dilution was taken place uh, because of the stock based compensation so the shares outstanding never decrease they just stay the same right so i'm just wondering in that case is the free cash flow really overstated and uh, you know and because these these buybacks uh they'll show up in the investing cash flow from investing section and uh, so how how would you think about that should you really be subtracting that from free cash flow uh that that's a great question and the answer is yes <laughs> uh, so so if if a company spe- keeps spending 1 billion dollars every year on on uh, stock buybacks but those buybacks don't really bring down the shares outstanding or anything like that then essentially what you are left with as an owner of the company is you don't see your stake in the company go up or anything like that your your stake in the company remains exactly the same and uh, the company makes may, may make 1 billion dollars and then spend it all on stock buybacks at the end of the day you you make nothing from that so this is all uh, an elaborate uh, system where uh, at the end of the day you keep your stake in the company your stake is not diluted which is okay um, which is a good thing i suppose but uh, it's not increasing either because of the buybacks and uh, so that 1 billion dollars is just uh, uh, cash that keeps disappearing every year from the company but you you don't see any benefit out of it so that should not be uh, counted as free cash flow for you uh so so if you, if you're trying to figure out what are all the future uh cash flows that you're going to be getting from your ownership in the company uh that that 1 billion dollars which is going to keep your stake exactly the same that uh, shouldn't shouldn't really fe- uh, feature in in that discounted cash flow model so usually what what i like to do is i i simply like to do uh, uh what's called a discounted dividend model not not a discounted cash flow model but a discounted dividend model where instead of discounting free cash flow you discount the dividends that you'll be getting and uh, if a company uh, distributes a lot of cash uh, through buybacks instead of dividends then uh, my discounted cash flow model discounted dividend model will take that into account but it will take it into account in the form of increased dividends in the future 
because there are fewer shares now outstanding. So uh, if, if the company makes the same amount of money in the future that it does today, uh, but it manages to retire 10% uh, of its shares, then that means each share will get approximately 10% more uh, of the company's future profits. So the uh, dividend discount model will show an increase in dividends in, in future years compared to this year. And that is how the benefit of buybacks factor into a dividend discount model. So I, I, I like to think in terms of m- multiple different models. So discounted cash flow is one such model and discounted dividends is another such model. Okay, thanks. That was That was interesting. Sure. So if we don't have uh, any more callers, let's just uh, call call it a day. So th- thank you all very much for showing up. I really enjoyed this conversation. And um, bo- uh, when, when I first started out investing, I didn't really know how to read the cash flow statement. I would only look at the balance sheet and the income statement because those are the only two things I understood. Uh, slowly, I started appreciating the importance of cash flows. And so I hope that episodes like this, talking about the various line items in the cash flow statement and what is free cash flow, how is it different from owner earnings, what's the difference between growth and maintenance capex. I hope all these things uh, help help you become better investors because they really help me become a better investor. When I read uh, Warren Buffett's 86 letter, uh, it, it, as I said, it was kind of like a light bulb moment for me. So that that is what I'm trying to do with these these kinds of episodes, just to uh, improve people's understanding of the fundamental economics of businesses. Don't don't just go by net income. Look at free cash flow. Look at owner earnings. Uh, look at discounted dividends and look look at per share figures. Uh, things like this. Uh, so I I hope you guys. Uh, are able to put some of this to use in your own investing journey. Thank you all very much for patiently uh, listening to the call and uh, see you next Sunday. Bye-bye.